Beautifully read, Sue. Thank you very, very much. And we're just going to have a quick look at this passage. Well, we've had a great weekend. We decided just to take the boys up to London yesterday. And uh, I don't know where you'd go. We ended up walking down the South Bank, watching some people skateboarding. We went into the Tate Modern. Um, their attention span lasted about 10 10 seconds, maybe 20, we were lucky. And uh, there's some funny stuff in there, isn't there? And then, um, basically, um, we were walking to uh, Chinatown, and there was this juggler, and he had about three balls, and then he had four balls, and he had five balls, then he had six balls, seven, eight, nine balls, then one hand with nine balls, and he put all those down. And then he lit some, uh, f- what do you call it, fire sticks. I don't know what you call them. And uh, he started juggling three, four, five, six. Then with one hand, one over his back, through his legs. And it was amazing. It was awesome. And the whole crowd was in awe and wonder. Last week, uh, I tell you that story because we looked really at the first chunk of this book at what... Uh, Peter explains God has done in Jesus Christ. You'll remember, actually, he has chosen us. He has uh, given us a living hope. He's given us an eternal inheritance. He's shielding us with God's power, and he's secured our future. This is what God has done in Jesus. I tell you that because in this little chunk of this book, Peter asks, well, so what? How do we respond to this? How do we respond to the amazing things that Jesus has done, uh, the power of which endure today, as we've heard tonight? And he says in a phrase, as we just heard read, be holy, be holy. That's what he says. That's how you respond to it. And what we're doing tonight is um, I just want to think about this whole topic of holiness. And my experience of speaking on holiness is that it's quite hard to get it right. It's quite hard because actually I think holiness is often misunderstood or even the word holiness can sound a bit full on and your knees can start knocking and you can feel like a bit of a foul Christian or not very holy. Or uh, actually, uh, you know, it can sound really dull and boring, holiness. And I want to hopefully address both of those um, misunderstandings of what holiness is. So let's just jump into this. And basically, Peter says, be holy, as we've heard. How can we be holy? First thing he says is, if you're going to be holy, you've got to get your thinking straight and prepare yourself for action. And there are about three different translations of the NIV Bible. So I'm going to just read this one we just had read, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And this call to prepare our minds for action, the, 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 the Greek meaning here is to lift up your skirt, your dress, men and women wore them in those days, and get ready to run. Be active. In light of what God has done in Jesus, I hope you're all lifting up your skirts. I hope you've all got your trainers on and you're ready to go. And this is the sense of uh, what he's writing here. And um, basically, uh, this word uh, self-control, some people translate it sober. And it's uh, critical if we're to be holy people. I read a child study a few years ago. It's one of the leading child studies uh, from a group of academics in New Zealand. They said, children need one characteristic. They just need one characteristic. We've been studying studying children. They need one characteristic. They'll be all right. Self-control interesting, isn't it? 
if your child has self-control, they'll be all right. Uh, it's an interesting study, isn't it? And the word sober some people use is this sense of you need an alert mind, you need to be active, and you want a mind that's crystal clear if you're going to be holy. You know, if you drink, I used to be addicted to alcohol. If you drink, you know what it's like when you wake up with a hangover, your head's all over the place. You can't think straight. You try and make a coffee, you stumble, try and find the fridge. You know, this is what we mustn't do, uh, Peter says. We need to actually prepare for action, uh, be self-controlled, and actually be sober. Uh, if we're going to be holy and actually respond well to what Jesus uh, has done. So this is the first thing that seems to appear. He also says, secondly, if we're going to uh, go for holiness today, we mustn't forget what Jesus is going to do in the future. We've got to keep our future perspective. We've got to keep a big picture because life can be busy. Life can be manic. The emails are coming. Uh, the task list is long and you can end up losing your perspective. Verse 13b, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And we're caught up in this extraordinary work of God. He's appeared to us. He's opened our eyes and Actually, if we're to be holy and live the sort of life in response to what he's done, we need to be big picture people. Remember the destination that Jesus is going to return. And actually, our fallenness, our brokenness, uh, all these things are going to be redeemed and restored when he takes us to be with him in eternity. And it's hard to hold that big picture I read in the paper this afternoon. Increasing numbers of children uh, are short-sighted. It's a massive problem. Apparently 30% more than there were uh, even a generation ago. Why is that? They say it's this. The kids of today, they don't go outside very much, so they don't have long-term vision or long-distance vision. They're just the screen generation, and it's affecting their eyes, their perspective. There's a similar spiritual principle that plays out. If we're to be healthy, if we're to actually live the life that will set us free, where we'll find life and life to the full, we need just to remember how the story's going to end, and we know how it's going to end. Jesus is going to return and take him to be with, us, with, with, her, with him. Thirdly, Peter seems to say, if we're going to go for holiness, we need to live completely differently to how we would have lived had we not come to faith. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires, that's a bit full on, you had when you lived in ignorance, 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So actually, we need to be reminded that when we come to faith, it's very transformational. It has a profound impact on our life. We don't live as we would have done had we not come to faith. It's not like we come to faith and just throw a few things in. It's not like we come to faith and uh, make a little sort of step this way. We actually live totally differently, according to Peter, and we live a totally different life. And let me unpack this. This life is a holy life, this life to which we're called. Now, when people discover I'm a church leader, you know, they sort of 
we, we get talking, what do you do, da, 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 and the question comes, as I'm sure it does to you, what do you do? And um, they sort of often think, you know, I'm a model or um, a fashion designer or something like that. And I say, I lead a church. And their face drops and they grimace and they say this, oh, you must be really holy. Oh, oh no, you're one of those. And what they mean is, obviously, uh, as a holy person, you have no fun. As a holy person, you look down on other people. As a holy person, you're self-righteous. As a holy person, the list goes on and on and on. So it's important that we understand what holiness is, that we know this life to which we're called. And in the deepest places of ourselves, we think holiness, yes, This sounds good. So what is holiness? At its heart, at its center, the word holiness in the Bible speaks about being set apart. We're set apart. And so we were here uh, before we came to faith doing this sort of life and making these sorts of choices and living in this kind of way. But actually, now we've come to faith. This remarkable thing has happened, as we've heard Jamie speak about. And now we're over here. We're set apart That's what holiness is. We're set apart. What are we set apart for? We're set apart, actually, to uh, glorify God, to worship God, to uh, express the gifts God has given us, the callings, our passions, which will bring life to other people. And we're set apart from those things that will ruin our life and ruin the lives of people around us, Uh, i.e., there is a sense in which holiness is about avoiding impurity and stopping certain things. I'm not saying that, but the the concept is much, much bigger uh, than that. We're set apart, uh, and we do life differently. You might think, okay, that all sounds quite full on, that intentionality, that living completely differently. Uh, Why, come on, in in the secret self, why bother? Why not just chance it. Why not not bother? Well, Peter would say this. He'd say, well, I wouldn't chance it because God is going to judge how you've lived and the choices you've made. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So actually, we are going to be judged by God as to the choices we've made and the lives we've lived. And uh, I want to suggest tonight that's really good news because actually it means it matters what we do. It means it matters how we live. It means uh, it matters uh, the choices we make. And it matters and is important because God notices everything. Now please hear a couple of things in light of our forthcoming judgment of our Father in heaven. The first thing is, this judgment isn't something to be terrified of or actually worried about in the sense that we know Jesus on the cross has paid the price, there is no condemnation for us, and he has won our salvation for us. So it's not like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Is God going to let me in or not? Jesus has won that for us already. Actually, this judgment is about reward, the New Testament seems to teach. There seems to be a sense that people who set themselves apart, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
and live accordingly are rewarded for faithful service. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And there's a sense that there are rewards in future in heaven for faithful service. And this is why it's important just to bear this in mind, Peter would say, because uh, he would say, I don't want you missing out on all that could be yours in eternity for faithful service. This doesn't make you acceptable to God. So this is not about legalism. This is not about striving. This is actually uh, about just responding to God in the way he'd want us to respond to, remembering that we're people who live under grace. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So we've got to hold on to these paradoxical things, if you like. But actually, just remember, we are going to be judged by our loving Father in heaven who's accepted us because he notices everything. And he's not trying to trick us or jump on us or freak us out. He's actually trying to bless us and um, actually uh, help us live a life worthy and a life in which we experience life to the full. So our work will be judged impartially. For now, we're foreigners here who are to live in reverent fear. What are foreigners? Well, we used to be part of this kingdom, didn't we? The kingdom of the world. We used to be here with a certain king and a way of doing life. But having come to faith, we have a different king. His name's Jesus Christ. We're part of a different kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. And uh, we have different values, a whole different way of seeing things. So in that sense, I don't know whether you feel like this. I actually do feel like this from time to time. I feel on one level, uh, it's almost like the world is not where I fully belong. In, not in the sense of, oh, I, I retreat from the world, but actually uh, there's this whole heavenly thing that's going on. And we're to live in reverent fear of God. And this fear doesn't sort of mean, guys, be terrorized by God, a sort of Homer Simpson, ah! It's not a terror, but it's actually a reverence and respect. Live with reverence and respect for God. And that can easily go as we live under the amazing love and grace and kindness of God, because you can forget that. You can start not to live with reverent fear. I remember many years ago, I was going out with my my boss, I was a lawyer, and we got on very, very well. He was very kind. He was very loving. He was very gracious. He really helped me. And uh, I remember we were out one night at a Christmas party, and we were mucking around. And I, tr I went to trip him up, just as a bit of a joke, as you do. I do well, maybe you don't. But anyway, I remember going like this. and think, Oh, I mustn't forget, he's my boss. I've got to treat him with respect. And this is what Peter is saying. We need to be people who respect and revere God. And to be honest, my take on this would be, if you don't respect and revere God, you just, you just can't really do the Christian life very well because you won't listen to what he says, you won't spend time with him, it won't be worth it, uh, you won't respect him. And there's a real cost to that. The cost is he won't be able to lead you into freedom and life and all the things he wants to lead you into. This is the cost of that. Is this making sense, ladies and gentlemen? Are you with me? Good. Okay. So that is that. Now, 
Peter would also say, you know, as you think about all these themes, don't forget that your salvation and your amazing future, this love, this grace of God, have come at a great price, verse 18 to 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood uh, of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So in other words, he's saying, you know, what we have as Christians is phenomenally precious. And we mustn't forget that. And he uses this analogy, doesn't he? What's the most precious thing we can think of? Okay, silver or gold. Okay, you think that's precious. Well, actually, it's perishable. It's nothing compared to what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely nothing. God has done something so spiritually precious because he's redeemed you from an empty way of life and he's set you apart to live a totally different life in which you'll find life and life to the full. Redeem is a, a biblical word. It's a, it's a funny word. It means to be set free, following the payment of a price. And so in the Greek world, slaves could be freed if someone paid uh, a price for them, or they could pay it themselves, which they often couldn't do. And so there's this sense that Jesus has paid a price for us. It was his son's death on the cross, and that's the price he's paid. And you'll see there, you could look at this in your own time, but it's precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so, you, so your faith and hope are in God. So what we're involved with is not just extraordinary, just not amazing, not just eternal, but it's also what God has done is very, very precious. And again, you can just lose sight of that. And when you lose sight of that, you can, and I lose sight of it all the time, you can actually forget just how precious it is, uh, our faith, what God has done, all those sorts of things. So what I'm suggesting is Peter would say, look, God has done these amazing things. How do you respond? You respond by living a holy life. This isn't the law. This isn't justification by works. It's actually just responding to the extraordinary things that God has done in Jesus. And we're set apart. We're set apart to worship, to glorify, to express our gifts, our passions, uh, to uh, abstain uh, and keep our lives as pure as we can from stuff that will defile our lives and defile other people's lives. And then Peter actually says something very, very interesting in verse 22. He says this. This is very, very interesting, I think. Verse 22. Now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere, sorry, see that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And actually, at the heart of holiness, I suggest, is being set apart for being good, no, for attending church, no, uh, for uh, reading your Bible all the time, no. It's actually set apart for love. We're set apart for love. To love God, to worship God, to receive God's love, and to extend love to other people. Holy people are loving people. And this is where you've got to, I really want to, you to see this tonight, that the most holy person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. 
the most holy person who's ever lived. And so-called unholy people flock to him, long to spend time with him, love being around him. Why was that? Because he extended love and grace to people. And so at the heart of holiness is this extending love to other people. And in this context of the New Testament that Peter writes, he talks actually about extending love to uh, our fellow Christians. And there's a sense of churches are places where we extend love to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the basic deal is we do that because we're holy and we take that seriously. And churches are places where we feel cherished, loved, honored, encouraged, valued, and we champion one another. This is what Peter is saying here. And this is love for him. And notice the love needs to be sincere, not phony. So it's not just a sort of uh, superficial love, a sort of, hey, how are you? Fine, fine, fine. I'll pray for you sort of thing. It's actually quite a deep love. It is love uh, from the heart. We've been talking about our values in this series. Last week, I just generally mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm going over them again, big picture. Last week was passionate worship about following Jesus, following the cat. If you missed it, that does sound strange. Um, listen online, that should make sense. What I'm thinking about really, or just want to float very briefly, is uh, in, our value of in, authentic community. Authentic Christian communities are founded in love. And they're founded in love and uh, experienced in love and rooted in love and grounded in love because the God we worship is love, full stop. So I'm going to say more about this on Vision Sunday, but we're going to be looking about how we can increasingly have a loving community, increasingly do community in a way in which we really feel loved and known and cherished and valued and championed and released into the things God's calling us to uh, be released into. It's interesting, isn't it? Jamie said on that video, you know, I didn't look like it. Uh, I was at the school, I was totally lonely. And my experience of human life, human existence today in our crazy busy culture is that there's a lot of loneliness and deep down behind the facade, the sorry facade, there's actually a lot of people who don't feel really cherished and loved. And one thing that's brilliant about you guys is I know that you do extend great grace and love to one another, and people do feel really supported here, which Peter would delight in. He goes on, doesn't he, verse 23. If you're in any doubt about this, just remember you haven't been born again from this life to this life to be set apart of perishable seed, uh, but actually of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. You know, this, we, we're caught up with something that's sturdy, secure, permanent, and enduring. And... Uh, the word of God, you see, the message of Christ is powerful. And I just want to end by saying that Peter would basically say, if you're thinking about this, if you have hesitation around this call to be set apart and to be holy, he'd say, whatever you do, get on with it and go for it because time is flying. 
Time is flying. Verse 24. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Basically, he's saying, you know, human life is so fleeting. And fame, your bank balance, your possessions, your car, you know, it's, it's, whoosh, it's all going to go. And so Peter would say, do just crack on with this life which God is calling you uh, to lead. I had a lunch before Christmas with my sisters. It was one of their 50th birthdays, so we had a lunch. And we were just talking about how fast it's gone, life. You know, I remember just we were all this height going around the garden looking for worms and playing swing ball for hours on end and jump, jumping through sprinklers in the 70s. Um, it's gone, bam, I'm nearly 50, bam, 60, 70. It's fleeting, it's going. So Peter would say, just realize that, make the most of your life, go for holiness, love people, and actually remember, verse 25, that the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word of the Lord uh, here refers, people think it refers to the Bible. It kind of, uh, actually at the time Peter was writing, only the Old Testament was in existence. There were snippets of the New Testament floating around the place. Uh, And so uh, it does uh, definitely refer to the Old Testament. It, of course, uh, refers to the word. But actually it really means the message of Jesus. And he says, actually... This is what was preached to you. And he'd say it's powerful. And we've heard how powerful it is tonight through Jamie and his story. The word of God, the message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection is quite extraordinary. And when the disciples uh, spoke about Jesus Christ, when they actually went for holiness, in other words, set themselves apart went to build the kingdom, to pioneer, to express their gifts, to really step out in faith, in love, for the benefit of those around them. Uh, Actually, they discovered just the power of what it was they were involved with. This word of God, Jesus, who is the word. So I want to end just by reiterating, you know, do be praying, do be thinking about who you can bring into Alpha. And actually, you know, our last course was amazing. It was extraordinary to watch lives be transformed. But there are about 20 guests, 25 guests, which, to be honest, I think, and I'm just being honest here, I was a bit disappointed in. We've got 600 people at the church, maybe. Uh, 20 people, is is that the most we can bring in? So I'm challenging myself. I'm challenging you to bring hordes of people to hear Uh, this extraordinary message on the 25th of January. And also, I would say, do please be praying for Love Guildford and think about what you could do uh, uh, in this neighborhood in uh, a month's time or so as we seek to take the word to the streets, which is really what holiness is about, taking the word to the streets in love for the sake of other people. Amen. So we're going to.